Well, good morning again. Um, so about three months ago, we started this little series, and I, I explained that the series we're going to be building onto each other. And this week, we start the last of that continuation of series, and it, it's kind of the culmination of everything has been building up to this point. And so this series is going to be kind of like the response and the application of everything that we've been building up to. And so um, just to recap, because it's important to know where we've been and to be reminded of everything that we've talked about already. And so um, I was going to make a joke about how long this sermon was going to be, but it won't be that long. Uh, so anyways, some things get filtered in here still in the process. It's a work. Uh, anyways, continuing on, get back on the track. Um, so we started in Revelation. And in Revelation, it was really just pointing at who Jesus is. Because again, you read Revelation, and it's like there's some crazy stuff going on in there. I mean, you have beasts, you have war, you have prostitutes, you have dragons, you have uh, blood flooding the earth, you have marks, you have the Antichrist, you have so much stuff in there that as you're reading it, you can get distracted on those things. And I'm not saying that those things aren't important, but they're so debated there, you can spend hours researching and discussing about, well, who's the first beast? What is the mark of the beast? And you can actually like get divided on those things in which we really don't have specific answers towards. And so we went through Revelation because the thing that we all can agree on, if you are identifying with Christ, if he is your savior, then we can read Revelation and we can see four truths in it. Revelation chapter 5, nobody is worthy but Jesus. There is absolutely nobody in this world that is worthy. John says that he saw the scroll in the hand and they asked, who is worthy to open the scroll? And he began to weep because nobody was worthy. And then one of the elders came to him and said, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one who is worthy to open the scroll, so do not weep. And so we know Jesus is worthy. Revelation chapter 19, we know Jesus is victorious. Because you get reading through Revelation and it looks like literally all hell is breaking loose on earth. It looks like chaos is happening and you're left with the question, all right, who's in control here? Jesus is in control. And Jesus is victorious. You have the rider in the white horse coming down, and he is going to wage war against the beast and the, pro the false pr prophets and, and the demons, and it's not even going to be a battle. Jesus is victorious. And then right away after that, not only is Jesus victorious, he still reigns. Like, it's not like he won and then somebody comes and conquers him. It is like Jesus wins and continues to win, and he is always winning. He is the one that is reigning. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is ruler of all rulers. We're told in the Psalms that it says that heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Like an amazing picture of just Jesus being like the one in charge. So we see that Jesus is reigning, and then lastly, we end with Jesus is returning. Some of the last words of the Bible are Jesus saying, behold, I am coming soon. 
And so we can agree on that, that Jesus is worthy, victorious, reigning, and returning. And so then we went through 1 Peter, in which we looked at, because of all of this, we are now called to live differently. Peter opened up that letter by saying to the exiles, to the aliens, to the foreigners, the pilgrims, strangers, whatever word you, ha you have in your Bible, he is saying, this is not your home. Because of everything Jesus is and is going to do, you live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You do not live as Americans. You do not live as citizens of this world. You have an eternal kingdom waiting for you. And so it changes how we live our lives. He opened up in 1 Peter 1.17 by saying, You therefore are to be holy just as I am holy. He said in 1 Peter 2.9 that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. You live differently because of who Jesus is. And then we went last month where we got to see stories of people within our body who have been transformed by Jesus. And then we looked at stories in God's word where Jesus encountered these people, he changed their lives, and then their natural reaction was, I'm going to go tell people. Like they didn't even have to be told, go, other than the garrison demoniac. Everybody else was just like, hey, this guy changed my life. The woman at the well, her famous words when Jesus told her everything about herself is she left, went back to her village and said, come and see the man who told me everything about myself. And then their response was, we believe because of your testimony, but now we've been with Jesus. And we have come to believe that he is the Christ on our own. We have seen him. And so we see this transition where because of who Jesus is, he changes our lives. And so we live differently. We live as eternal citizens. And that's all been building up to now our response is we live on mission. That's what this whole series is going to be about living our lives on mission. And it's found in Matthew chapter 28, a very popular verse. And so um, this is going to be our passage, and it's short, so I'm going to ask, we haven't done this for a little bit, if you will please stand in honor of the reading of God's word, and then we'll pray. But Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father God, we just come before you. And again, God, it is an honor to be able to gather with brothers and sisters who bear your name, who are living for you. And God, just to worship you. And to be in your presence together. And so God, now as we come to the time where we get to hear what you have to say, I pray that it not be my words that are spoken, but that it be your truth that is proclaimed. And then that it fall on hearts that are prepared to hear what you have to say. And then God, may we live on mission for you. So God, we need you to do this. Transform us from the inside out. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Thank you. So this passage is probably a pretty common one. I'm sure that you've probably heard it. You see it on a lot of mission boards. You see it on a lot of mission statements. It's actually, honestly, the statement of this church. 
If you talk to people who are familiar with it and you say, what is the mission of Center Christian Church? You would hear something taken out of this that says, save the lost and disciple the saved. That we exist as a body here to go into the world, save lost people, which we mean by introducing them to Jesus. We can't save them. But to save lost people and then disciple the saved. And so people are familiar with that. Go and make disciples of all nations. But I feel like we have to first understand there is a part before this that we have to understand. Verse 18. A lot of people could probably quote 19 and 20, but we have to look at verse 18 first. Because there's this misconception, I believe, about giving your life over to Jesus. That there's this belief that, hey, all I have to do is I have to say a prayer and I'm good. And then I don't have to live my life based on that. I don't really have to do anything based on that. I just, I just say a prayer and then I can live quietly. I can not be like publicly known. I don't even have to tell anybody about it. And I believe that the Bible kind of tells us the opposite of that. That the Bible tells us that when you identify with Jesus, you are embarking on a mission. You are being drafted into the army of God, and you have a mission that you are called to go on, to go and make disciples. That is not something that we quietly, privately don't need to, hey, nobody needs to know I'm a Christian, I'll just blend in with the crowd, but instead that we are called to go. And so I believe it's not even a call, it's a command. And to understand that it is a command we have to see verse 18, where Jesus opens up and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, Jesus is setting the stage right here. He's saying what is about to follow might be pushed back against on. Like, ah, uh, you know, maybe Jesus just was like requesting that we do that. Because again, I've shared with you before, like this, this series is even going to stretch me because I can... I can stand up here and present a message, but you put me in a group of people that I'm unfamiliar with, and I become such an introvert. Heather couldn't believe it when we first started me talking, like she was surprised at how outgoing I was, and then all of a sudden, I get introduced to her family, and it's like, where's the wall? Because I, I need to hold it up. Like, I, I don't know these people, I don't wanna talk to these people, nothing against her family, but it's like, I don't know them, so I'm uncomfortable, which is the same thing so many people say about sharing their story. Well, I don't know these people. I'm uncomfortable, and I'm just going to say I am right there with you, but we have to understand verse 18, that Jesus says, I have all authority. I am king of kings, and I am Lord of lords. I am the one in charge, and I'm not requesting this. I'm saying this is the mission of my people, that they are to follow up and do this. This is what we saw in Revelation, when we saw that Jesus is the only one that is worthy. So when you are the only one that is worthy, you are the only one that can call those shots, and that's Jesus. He has all authority, not just in heaven, but on earth. He is king of kings. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. And he is saying, I get to call the shots. I am Lord. I am savior. I am master. I am king. I am ruler. 
I am whatever you want to look at it as. Not like I am here just giving out a list of wishes. I'm saying this is how you're called to live your life. Because all authority has been given to me. And then he's about to say that because all authority has been given to me, you as believers in Jesus get to take part on the greatest mission in the history of the world. Now, I'm a huge military fan. Like, I, I love stories of, like, military conquests. And so, like, I love where it's like, hey, we're going on this rescue mission, and it really seems like the odds are against us, but we're still going to go, and we're going to risk life and limb to bring these people back. And that is a noble cause. But that doesn't even, like, have a hint of how noble what we are called to be on as believers is. Like, you can go rescue people, they'll fall back into captivity. Or they'll just come back and they'll live their lives and then they'll cease to exist on this earth. But when you're part of the mission of God, you are going and making eternal life transformations. You are going and having an eternal impact on the lives of people. That's what Jesus is calling you to do when he says, I want you to live on mission. It's not just some, hey, I'm going to sit back and have my life be my own. But it's a actively living in the mission of God, bringing people to Jesus. And Jesus goes on to say, so he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he says, this is the mission that you are called to be a part of. Verse 19, he says, go. We're going to stop right there. He says, go. Notice there's a command there, but also it's an active command. The Christian life is one of being active participants. It's not a, hey, just sit back and wait. It's not a, hey, hope that they, os, os, that they become believers through osmosis. There's some fancy word there, I'm sure. But you know, like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to sit here and they will just morph into Christians by my presence. It's like, no, you are called to actively go, to take part in something. So much as believers, we want it to be about, hey, come. You want to come be a part of our lives? We gather every Sunday morning at 1030. Just come. Like, I'm not going to tell you that. You should just know that this is where we'll be. Jesus says to believe or to people, come to me. But he says to believers, go to them. Go into all the world. Go to your family. Go to your community. Go to your neighbors and your co-workers. Go out to them. Jesus kind of says the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, the problem that a lot of people have is it's like cultural Christianity has this. I'll claim to be a Christian, but I'm not really gonna do anything about it. And Jesus would say, you know what you're doing? You are taking the light and you're putting it under a basket. Who does that? Like, hey, I'm going to light this lamp and just throw a blanket over it so that it does not give any light at all. But instead, Jesus says, you know what you should do? Let your, let your light shine 
before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying that you are actively called to live the Christian life, to go and be the light of the world. He says you are the light of the world. People should see Jesus in you by how you live, by what you do. And the way that Jesus says you do that is by going to them, being involved in their lives, being in the community, and living on mission through that. That you're not just at work, but you're at work as the light of the world. That you're not just playing events, but that you are playing for the glory of God. Whatever it is, you are the light of the world in that area. Now, now I want to specify, you're not saved by this. That is something to very much understand. This is not a work for salvation. You know, Ephesians 2 tells us, you are saved by grace through faith, not a result of works so that anyone can boast, but it's the gift of God. So this is not to earn your salvation. We are told salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way you'll be saved. Not as a result of works, but it is a result of your salvation. It's not something you do for, but because of, you now do this. It's like you have received Jesus, you've placed your faith in him, you have at that moment eternally placed your name in the Lamb's book of life, and so then it's like, okay, what next do I do now? Jesus would say, now you go. You go and you make disciples. You let your light shine before others so that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, Paul, he talks about it this way. He says, this is really how people are going to be saved. He says in Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13, he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He doesn't say everyone who works, everyone who earns it. He says, you are saved when you call on the name of the Lord. And then we're also told there is no other name. Peter tells us this. There is no other name by which we shall be saved but Jesus. That's the name of the Lord that you call on. But then Paul goes on and he puts the challenge out to the church. Because remember, he's writing to the church in Rome. And he puts the challenge out to the church and he says, how are they going to call on him of whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? It's like, those are good questions, Paul. Like, hey, the only way they're going to be saved is by calling on the name of the Lord. But how are they going to call on his name when they don't believe in him? And how are they going to believe in him if they don't even know who he is? He says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And you might be suddenly thinking, skate by on that one. It says preach and I'm not a preacher. Yes, you are. Because to preach is to deliver the good news of Jesus. That's all it takes. As we looked and share your story, the woman in the well, at the well, she wasn't in it. The woman at the well, when she heard everything that happened to her, that Jesus knew all about her, what did she do? She went and told the townspeople, come and see the man who told me everything about myself. That's preaching. She went and she proclaimed the good news of Jesus. 
Because they were like, hey, we first believed because of her testimony. Now we believe because we've met you. The man who was born blind. He was like, this is what I know. I was born blind. I had this encounter with Jesus, and now I see. He preached right there. He proclaimed the news of Jesus. The garrison demoniac. He wanted to go with Jesus, and Jesus was like, no, I have something better for you. You're going to go back to your home. You're going to go back to your town, and you're going to proclaim all the good that Jesus has, that, that God's done for you. And he went and he did it. He preached. It doesn't take a message up on a pulpit. It takes having that encounter with Jesus and then going and sharing that. That's what you're called to go do. Hey, this is who I was. This is what Jesus did in my life. And this is who I am now. And it's all because of God. And he wants to do the same for you. To go and proclaim the good news. That's what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2, 9. When he says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. He's not talking to pastors there. He's talking to believers in Jesus. And he is saying the same thing that we are called to go and preach is the same thing as proclaim. To go and make known. You know what that word preach really is? It's to herald. So olden days, whenever the king would be coming into a town, they would send somebody ahead of them who would go and proclaim what the king was coming. He's like, hey, the king is coming tomorrow. Prepare yourselves. They, they went and they heralded that the king was coming. We are called to go and herald that Jesus is king. We are called to go and herald who Jesus is, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel. That Christ Jesus came and gave his life. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what we get to go and share. We live lives on mission. And you might have questions at the end of this sermon. Come back next week. And then you'll have more questions, come back the following week. And then maybe it'll all be tied up with a bow by week four. But we're going to keep building on this, on how do we live lives in mission. But step number one is to go, to respond to the call of God, to go. But he doesn't just leave us like, okay, I'm going, don't really know what I'm doing here. He goes on to say, go and make disciples. Jesus doesn't want converts where people are like, yeah, I believe in God. I believe there's a Jesus. James would tell us, good, even the demons do, and they shudder. Jesus wants disciples. He wants followers of Jesus. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are called to go. So when we go, what do we do? We make disciples. We make little image bearers of Jesus. So for example, for you parents in the room, you totally understand what this is. When you have a little kid, like you have a child, you are raising that child up to be a disciple of yours because you're teaching them the things that you know. You're modeling them to become kind of little interpretations of you. And that's what we do with Jesus. That we 
walk alongside people and we bring them along and we say, this is what Jesus looks like and this is how you live your life to look like him. Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So when people look at your life, they should see that's what a disciple of Jesus looks like. And if right now your response is, oh, no, it's not, I hope they don't imitate that. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit working on you. Maybe you should be like, all right, God, help me die to that so that I can be a true image bearer of yours. Because there's things in me like, oh, man, please don't see me whenever I'm really stressed out. I'm glad people can't read my mind. Although I found out yesterday some people can. Really creepy. But anyways, we are called. <laughs> another rabbit trail. Ah, we are called to go and make disciples. And so it's like, okay, what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. Jesus is too. Because he says, go and make disciples. All right, how do we do that? He says, baptize and teach them to observe all the commands. So a disciple is somebody who identifies with Christ. But that's kind of what you do whenever you come up and you say, you know what, I want to give my life over to Jesus and I want to be baptized. You're saying, I want to identify as a believer in Jesus. That you are saying, you know what, the, the thing with baptism is it represents that you are dying to your sins, that you are being washed clean, and then you are being raised to new life. That you are identifying with Jesus. Because I just want to kind of make this known, we downplay baptism a lot. And I don't mean we as in Center Christian Church, I mean we as in America. Because what really does it cost you? I mean, think of the first century Christian where Peter is writing to exiles. They have been booted out of their homes because of the gospel of Jesus. And so then as they're going around and they're saying, hey, you should give your life to Jesus. And they're like, yes, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. They give their life to Jesus. And they're like, what's the next step? And they're like, be baptized. They would be like, you know, that can get me killed, right? Because that's what Christians are doing. I, can't I just keep it on the inside like some internal thing that nobody ever has to know about? And it's like, no, identify with him. So when you are willing to be baptized in first century Christian churches, there were like Romans and Jews watching for you. Like, uh-huh, there's the Christians. They're down by the river. Let's go round them up because they believe in Jesus. Think of like the cost you are willing to make right away. And now it's just like, ah, you know what? Don't need to worry about it too much. We have downplayed it a lot. But we are identifying with Jesus in that. Paul, he tells us in Romans chapter 6, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so Paul is saying, like, I know there's going to be the struggle in everyone. That it's like, hey, you know what? I know I'm saved, but I have grace, so I can go ahead and do this anyways, right? Because I'm already forgiven, and it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission, correct? And so let's just go ahead and go for it. And Paul's like, wait, don't you know what happened when you gave your life over to Jesus? You died to your sin. You were buried with Christ, and then you were raised to newness 
in Christ, newness of life. And he's like, that happened internally, yes, but the way you displayed that, the, the kind of the, the, the stake that you're setting in the ground is that, hey, I'm going to do this outward action. It's kind of like whenever you get married, you could do it privately. You could elope. That's a thing. It's allowed. But it's like, who's there to hold you accountable? What, what is there that you're also like, you're setting, when you get married, you could even be like, you know what? Why do I even need to go through the ceremony? Because our hearts are really there. So we won't let anybody know we're married, but we're actually married. And it's like, what about you like make this commitment? You stand before a group of witnesses and you say, hey, this is the stance we're making. So later on, whenever things are getting really rocky, you guys are able to be there with me to be like, wait a minute. Remember the stance that you took. Remember the vow that you made. It's similar with baptism where you are making that statement and you have a group of witnesses who are like, hey, we're going to hold you accountable. There's going to come a day where you're wondering, okay, God, I'm not sure where we stand and you can look back or where you're going to be like, you know what? Can't I just go back to that old way of life? And you look back and you say, no, I died to that sin. I was buried with Christ and then I was raised as a new creation. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. That's represented in your baptism. And so notice, though, it's a twofold process. It's identifying with Christ, but it is also living for him. Jesus says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. You know, it's easy to do the first part, easier. To like, hey, you know what? You gave your life to Jesus. All right, good luck. We'll catch you later. See you in heaven. It's hard to walk alongside them and to keep working with them. Because here's the thing about disciple making. You're dealing with immature people. No offense. But you are walking alongside young Christians who are still spiritually immature. We'll say that word. Less offensive. But you're walking alongside them. And it's hard but it's what we're called to do. You know how you can tell that there's growth happening, specifically in trees? When there's little saplings growing up alongside the trees, you know life is happening then. The growth of a church is a, a good representation of the growth of a church is not how many butts can fill the pews, but are we making disciples? Are we obeying the command of God to live on mission, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us? Because again, this is the greatest mission in existence. It is seeing lost people get found. It's seeing dead lives be brought to life. That's what we're called to be a part of to live on mission for that. And, and honestly, it, it can almost become over, like overwhelming to think about that, to think like, wait a minute, I'm an introvert. I, that's hard. Like that's outside of my comfort level. Whatever excuse you can try and make right now, 
Jesus wraps it all up by getting rid of that excuse, or at least taking away your reason for that excuse. In verse 20, he says, and behold, I am with you always. Yeah, but Jesus, I don't know what I'm doing. That's okay. I'm with you always. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus is not sending us on this alone. He is going with us. He sends his Holy Spirit to be with us. And I honestly still don't think, as I've been studying it, that I rely enough on the Holy Spirit. Because you look at the life of Jesus and you see that Jesus walked on water and he calmed the storm and he raised Lazarus from the dead and he cast out demons and he healed the blind and he healed the leprous and he did all these amazing things. And it's like, man, I wish I could do one of those things. That would be incredible. But Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 12, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Like everything Jesus did, he's saying you get to do something even greater. You get to be a, excuse me, you get to be a part of the eternal mission of God. Why is it, oh my goodness, excuse me. Why is it good that Jesus goes to the Father? Because he says, if I do not go, I cannot send the helper. And so I must go. Because the helper will come and it is to your advantage that he comes because Jesus walked in our presence. The spirit dwells within you. That you do not go on your own, but that you have the Holy Spirit guiding you and leading you. And so you get to rely on that to take part in the eternal mission of transforming lives for Jesus. So we're gonna close up real quick. And I just wanna... Wrap up with this question. When you hear that right there, that you are called to be a part of the transforming life of Jesus, that you are called to be a part of transforming lives for Jesus, how does it make you feel? Does it light a fire inside of you? Or is it like, mm, too busy, God. I don't have time for that. Got everything else I have to do. Because if it is anything other than being on fire for that, I think we need to realign our hearts, me specifically, that we need to, because this is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is God transforming lives, and the heart of the gospel is what should be the heart of the church. And so if we are not on fire about pursuing the mission of God and radically going and being a part of broken people's lives to transform, to, to introduce them to Jesus so that he can transform their lives. Honestly, where is our heart? Why are we not on fire about that? Why does that not stir us up? Because that's the heart of God. That is the heart of the gospel, and that should be the heart of the church. So we are called to go live lives on mission, to make disciples. Are we ready to respond to that? Are we ready to live lives on mission? Because Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And he says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Father God, I pray that that be the burning passion inside of my heart and everybody else is here. God, that we see that this life is not about us, but it is solely about you, and that we therefore live on mission to give you glory and to let our light shine before others so that they may glorify you. And God, I pray that we get serious about the mission that you're calling us on to go make disciples. And God, that if there be anybody here who has not responded to you, God, just again, as we always pray, work in their heart so that they respond to you and they find eternal life in you, that they see that you are worthy of it all. We love you, God. We need you to work in our hearts. So just fix our eyes upon Jesus. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen.